Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Right. Welcome, everybody. Oh, we've got some likes. That's a start. Welcome, everyone. This is the much publicized on the group uh, Q&A with Roderick Sam, who we're very privileged to have join us this evening. Roderick has donated some of his spare time, some of his Sunday. Spare time on a Sunday is some cherished time, so thank you very much. We've got a hello already. We're off to the races. Excellent. Can you see that comment? No, I can't see anything. Oh, all right. Okay. You'll have to take my word for it. We've got a hello. Yes. We've got some likes. We've got, we've got yes, everything. Sorry, I'm a bit, um, a bit blind at the moment. Uh, All All right, I see. Fair enough. Cool. Anyway, so as I say, Roderick has been very generous and given up some of his time for the group, uh, which is excellent. We're going to record this so that people who haven't had the time to join us tonight will be able to see it later. And I think this is a really wonderful opportunity to ask anything you like to a qualified FA, which is remarkable, really. Um, Anything, no holds barred. Anything you fancy. Uh, obviously, we can't give financial advice, but we can give broad information about investment accounts, things that you might like to uh, do, things that you might find interesting. 50 people, that's absolutely amazing. Anyway, over to you, Roderick. Thank you so much for joining us. Roderick just wanted to do a quick intro for everybody so we could explain who he is, what we're aiming to do tonight, and then we'll jump straight in with some questions. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Thanks, James. It's um, really, really good to be really, really here. Um, yeah. um, I'm not going to give too much of an intro because, um, I, to be honest, I'm probably not all that interesting anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, I think <laughs> your listeners would rather ask me a load of questions, but, you know, please be gentle. <laughs> um, yes, so essentially, I, I, you know, for me, you know, I've, I've been in the financial service industry probably for, well, about eight years now. Um, and, and, and how I see it is, you know, it, it's helping people make good decisions with money, putting in place a plan for the future. Um, but, you know, the thing is, things change along the way. So rather than being a, um, a defender of an outdated map, it's, it's been a guide in a changing landscape. So for my clients, you know, I provide investment, pensions, protection, uh, and also mortgage advice for the whole, I guess, holistic financial planning suite. Um, and really, I, I, I think... About six months ago, I kind of changed the way in which uh, which I work with clients um, and, and started trying to kind of work more with, with dentists as a profession. Uh, I think, you know, with, with, with the advent of technology, the old days of, you know, geographical location is, is kind of less important. So kind of specializing in a, in a profession um, is kind of how I saw, you know, me working going forwards and focusing on dentists is, is like a, a, a great group to work with. Um, why, why dentists is probably, you know, what, what might, some people might think. Um, my wife is, is actually a, a dentist. She's, she's an NHS uh, dentist for a practice where, where we work. And, um, you know, she's always asking me at the, at the start of the, well, 
at the end, I guess, of the year when she gets her ARR, you know, is this right? Is my MPE right? And always I'm asking, you know, maybe, but give me more information. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you guys kind of, well, know really, or, or kind of, it's, it, the NHS pension is really complicated. It is. Should we say so? Tell you yeah. what, when we had Luke, when we had Luke Hurley speak on that, I just thought a pension was a pension. Um, but wow, the, the the level of depth to that, you need like a you need a degree in itself to understand it, and that's on top of all the other things we have to worry about. I, that was a I brilliant. Don't, I don't think you need a degree. All, all you need is just to find someone oh, no, and explain it in I'm simple kidding. terms. Yeah, no, and, no you know, I'm, ho- hopefully that's I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what an advisor does. You know, explain things in simple terms yeah. so so you can you know, understand it and, and kind of see how it all fits into, into your plan. Um, awesome. Brilliant. Were you finished, sorry? But yeah, 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 yeah no, as I say, I, I don't want to kind of talk too uh-huh. much, you know, we've, we've nah, got okay. power or whatever. So, so, so let's kind of get right into it. Let, let people uh, grill me. <laughs> no, no, nothing of the sort. Just gentle questions, of course. That goes gentle. for everybody. Gentle questions, everybody listening. Roderick is, uh, this is Roderick's spare time, of course. Uh, we want to give his uh, mind a bit of a, well, just ease him out of his Sunday, shall we say. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I'm actually going to struggle not to talk during this because I do a lot of that. So I'm going to be like this. My lips are sealed. going to let Roderick do 90% of the talking. And I'm going to learn things as well. Just to let everybody know, the questions, the feed, there's a little bit of a delay between you guys typing the questions and them appearing on the feed so when we will get to them they take about a minute to reach us so if you want if you fancy throwing up your questions now they'll be there in due course uh we have had some anonymous questions from the group shout out to everybody who's already said hello actually hello jenny hello ishida hello john hello joe joe's got a question hello anika uh and hello yeah john again um we already have those questions so those questions are great keep them coming in the, just so that we can let those fill up, we're going to answer some anonymous questions that we've received in the meantime. So whilst we're doing this, if everybody throws all their questions up, that would be great. Cool. So, Roderick, you said that you had a anonymous question from the group. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I, I had an anonymous question. Um, as I, so we we'll, might, might as well kick off with that one then. Um, so, yes, so, someone asked Let's do that, me, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, someone asked me, they, they, they've just started um, kind of two jobs and they think they're going to earn between 100 to, to, to 125K. I was kind of concerned about the, the tax and wanted to know if it was kind of best to make pension contributions. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think we, even we actually touched on this when, when we spoke last time, uh, James. That, um, we you did. Know, yeah, what happens is that kind of when you're earning between 100 and 125k, you are heavily penalised um, on on the tax, and you know you're taxed at something like 60%. Um, what, what it is is so everyone has a kind of a, a personal allowance um, as, as an amount which you kind of have tax free before you start paying tax. You know this this year it's twelve and a half thousand. But once your earnings kind of exceed a hundred thousand, you lose one pound of allowance for every two pounds of income over a hundred thousand. So essentially, if you've got kind of income over one hundred twenty-five k, you know you, you lose your allowance completely. 
so kind of as a consequence of that you know you, you essentially pay 60 percent tax i mean if, if, if we give an example or if i give an example so if you're earning say in, in simplistic terms if you're earning 101,000, you know you pay 40 percent tax on that um thousand pounds we'll just use that part of you know for this example if you pay 40 percent tax on that thousand pounds that's 400 pounds but because you know you're earning over that hundred thousand pound threshold you know you've lost 500 pounds of your allowance so if you remember you know you lose one pound for every two pound over that's 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 500 pounds which means you have to pay 40 percent on that additional 500 pounds which is 200 pounds so for every thousand pounds of earnings within that bracket you know you've paid 600 pounds worth of tax which is effectively 60 percent um and you know the, the, the easiest way or kind of what, what we would normally suggest to to mitigate that is is making a pension contribution so you know with with obviously that the, the person that asked you know, that that would be the most obvious way to make a pension contribution to kind of reduce your um your taxable kind of earnings um, to, to, to save, well, effectively 60%. So, you know, it's, it's not a bad way of doing things. Um, hopefully kind of that answers your question. I mean, if it doesn't, I'm happy to pick it up with you afterwards uh, because th th there's some nuances that I kind of want to explore with you. Because if you're kind of, well, I'm assuming you're an NHS dentist, so you're probably already paying the into your pension so yeah when you say you're earning between that that uh, band you know you, you might already be paying contributions that takes you out of that kind of 100 125 banding so so, so yeah you know if it hasn't fully answered it I'll, I'll pick it up with you separately awesome so it becomes way more efficient when you're earning at that level but it's definitely something you want you encourage people to think about when it gets to that point if i yeah. gather that correctly mm -hmm. uh one more Right, guys, amazing questions. Thanks very much. Keep throwing them up. We have one more anonymous one, and then I'm going to start answering ones from the feed. I can see them all here, so thank you so much for that. The second anonymous question we had, it reads, if investing and buying shares through a limited company, what tax are you liable to pay? Is it just capital gains tax? And what are the pros and cons of investing through a limited company? That's that's probably um, a good question. Um, prob probably it's it's probably something to pick up slightly separately. But you know, I guess invest you can invest through a limited company. Um, I'm not you know it's it's not something that um, you know, I I know too much about. You know, yes, yes, you will have to pay capital gain, but not capital gain, corporation tax on on kind of anything that that you do. Um, or any gains within within the company uh, that you invest in, um, you know pros pros and cons. You, you obviously at some point you're going to have to extract extract the money out of the, the business, um, so so you will pay you know, dividends or, or kind of income tax at some point in time. Um, but really, it's it's kind of with financial planning, it, it's coming back to you know what what what's your plans, what's what's your goals, what what you're trying to achieve. You know, is is that the most efficient way of doing things for for your circumstance? Cool. Yeah. So case by case basis. What level does uh, corporation tax kick in? What level? Oh, I've, 
everyone pays corporate, well, businesses pay corporation tax at 19%. No, I, I mean, is there a threshold before it kicks in? So you know the way you've got your base rate tax, your higher rate, additional rate, and you know that it kicks in at 12 and a half grand? Does the, does uh, the base rate... Right. As, as far as I'm aware, I don't think you get any kind of um, allowances in, in that uh, respect. But, you know, your accountant yeah. might be better, better <laughs> poised to, to, to answer those kind of questions. Cool. No problem whatsoever. Brilliant. Hope that was the answer that you were looking for, uh, the person who posted that anonymously. Right. Let's get on to some questions from the group. So, Joe, Joe was asked, Joe would just like to know where you're based. Roderick. Where I'm based. Um, so, so I'm based in, in Evesham. Um, for, for those that know where that is, for those that need a, a bit more of a, a geography lesson, um, well, it's, it's in Worcestershire, um, <laughs> kind of on the edge of the Cotswolds. I mean, I, I've only been here three years, so, it's, uh, so, so, so even I'm still trying to find my way, uh, way around, oh, but kind of the, the Worcestershire brilliant. area is probably the easiest. Where did you live before? Uh, uh, a bit, bit of a nomad, actually. I, I kind of spent... Five years in Liverpool beforehand, Wigan. My, my wife did her kind of second degree, so her dentistry degree in Preston. So that's, yeah. that's kind of where we moved, why we moved up north to Preston. But uh, but I'm actually from Yorkshire originally. Interesting. Stuff. Not too far from where you are now. I, I, from Sheffield, so yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, Sheffield is what it said. I've actually never got round to updating that. I'm actually in Leeds, but we're still not too far from each other. Yeah, <laughs> I lived in Leeds. I, I came to North. I came to England ten years ago. Lived in Leeds uh, for uni. I moved to Sheffield. I made it away from away from Leeds for one year, and then I came straight back. So I've got friends here. So yeah, I've uh, not the most exciting. Uh, I, I, I I like what I know basically. I like Leeds. It's a good city. Brilliant, right? Annika has jumped in. Annika has just remarked that the stream is perfect. Thank you very much for your nice comments, Annika. We'll move on to the next one. John, what, John Mahoney would like to know, what percentage of your income should you ideally be investing in your NHS or private pension? Uh, am I right in saying that that might be a difficult one to answer, Roderick? It's, it's quite, quite, quite a difficult one, I guess. I yeah. mean, with, with your NHS pension, you don't really have a choice, you know, because depending on what you're earning, you're stuck into certain bands in, in which you have to pay contributions on um you know then if you would kind of look on the the, the private pension side of things um it's, it's partly comes down to what you can afford as well you know, i don't think there's no hard and fast rule but you know with with the idea of saving i mean i think you've, you've mentioned it many times james it, it's, it's just about the compounding effect so you know start saving what you can have regular direct debit or something like that so the money goes straight out of your account you get used to the idea and then it's kind of building building from 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 that part a really nice method of investing uh i think a lot of people where the investing message becomes a bit aggressive or maybe a bit muddled or confused is that people think that it's something that you have to put all your money into i think before you even start thinking about any investing it might be nice to have six months to a year's spare cash emergency fund oh, yeah, yeah. and then go from there. No, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. When we kind of sit down and speak to clients, we always say you need at least three months to six months kind of emergency funds. Yeah. So, so, you know, three, six months of expenditure because 
know, if, if, if we look back at obviously when we, when we had lockdown one, you know, dental practices, they were all shut down for, for how many months. So, you know, you, you, you guys got no income and, and needed to, to draw on your emergency funds or, or whatever to kind of help you um, survive effectively. 100%. So that's what we always say, yeah, you know, minimum three months, six months. People might want more. You know, we, we all have different attitudes to what we want as, as nice cash in the bank. So, 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 yeah. And I guess to add to that layer as well, we also say that, you know, if, if you've got a known fixed expenditure in, in the future at some point, you know, then don't use that money to invest because, you know, you know you need that money to pay for something. So, I don't know, a good example would be so like a, a house deposit or something like that. If, if you know you need to put 10% towards that house deposit, don't invest that money because it's a, a known fixed expenditure in the future. Uh, yeah, so once you, obviously your six six months to a year spare cash is an amazing thing to have and that should be a priority for a lot of people and definitely I dipped into that when I, well, over coronavirus. After that, a really nice investment portfolio is 20% cash and then you, after, of, your, of your spare capital that is, 20% cash maybe at all times just in case you, well, cash is a hedge against uh, shall we say, uh, you know, downturns in the market. So it's always nice to have some of your portfolio in cash and then play around with the rest. It depends on you as an individual and your age. People prefer to put a certain amount in stocks, certain amount in bonds, maybe in gold, maybe in crypto. Uh, yeah, it really depends on your individual circumstance, I suppose. So we'll move yeah. on to the next question. We've got Chaya has said hello. So hello, Chaya. And Wachu has asked, what stage do you decide to buy property as a limited company, e.g. If, if one property sold trader, but at what level do you then buy a limited company? Did that make sense, Roderick? I mean, it's, it's kind of a – I'm trying to decipher this one a little bit. At what, it kind of – sorry. Let's just say, how about this? At what stage do you decide to buy property as a limited company? I guess that would really – depend on a, lot, yeah. a few things wouldn't it Roderick? Uh, I mean it's, 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 it's a good question um, but it, it sounds like it's, it's individual to you so you know it's I think that one is is how long is a piece of string it's it's, it's, uh, it's yeah. difficult to save I mean I would need to know what what your kind of circumstances are in, in order to kind of properly answer that question for for yourself, you know, for, for some people it could be they, they, they want to start straight away. You know, for, for others that they may not even want to look at kind of property within a within a business. I mean, you know, me, me personally, if we if we talk about myself, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in kind of buy to lets and, and that kind of thing. I, I just don't really like the hassle of, of kind of Having buy to let, you know, void periods, the, the, it's the, ta- uh, it's, the repairs. And all that it's so of heavily stuff. taxed, isn't it? I mean, once you get past your first property, it's so oh, yeah. heavily taxed. Yeah, yeah, no, there's, there's definitely a tax element. And, you know, who knows as well what's, what's going to change in the future. You know, with what's happened in, with coronavirus, uh, there, there's been a lot of borrowing. Um, at some point, the government are going to have to repair the coffers a bit, shall we say? Um, so, so that, so it's, it's, you know, there are going to be probably 
some hits on various tax breaks, uh, talking about CGT or capital gains tax, there's, there's murmurs that that might be reduced from what, 12, three, 12,300 at the moment to possibly down to 3,000, 3, 5,000. But, you know, who knows at this point in time? But uh, another what, what reason. Yeah, we'll see. Well, at the minute, we're, nobody's paying. Um, what's that? When you when you pay when you buy your house for the first time, you get an exemption on it. What's that? Yeah, tax? Yeah, what, what, what is that tax? Stamp duty holiday. Stamp duty. Moment. Yeah. So they don't have stamp duty at the minute, but they think that stamp duty is going to come back with a vent. I was speaking to Harry Singh on. Well, I think it was it was the very first podcast actually that was about two months ago, and he reckons that stamp duty will be back. Any you know you know when the when the when they review this, uh, the chancellor reviews this imminently because it's to me it's a very obvious way that they're going to claw back some of this corona money. Mm. And you're quite right, the capital gains one would be an obvious place to look. Yeah, yeah. No. So yeah, that is. I, I think that, that is, you know, so, talking about stamp duty, I, I think that, that they may have give some leeway for kind of first time buyers or or those kind of house movers. But if you've got looking at investing and, and trying to you know take advantage of that that they'll probably cut that one short because they, they, they need to recover some money somewhere seems an obvious place to make some money so they'll yeah I, I think they'll probably do that to be honest right brilliant hope that helps which you might want to get some more tailored nuanced advice on that one maybe sit down with an fa kevin kitt has said evening evening kevin evening. very nice to have you here next <laughs> next we have ashish shah uh, Ashish would like to know, would you recommend having a private pension as well as an NHS pension as it reduces your tax liability and helps bridge the gap along with ISA allowances in latter years since the NHS pension age for withdrawals is almost 68 now uh, for this, for the 2015 NHS scheme? I, I don't think, I don't see any reason why that would be a bad idea in principle. Yeah, I yeah. to do both. Yeah. No, no. T totally agree. I mean, in principle, it's it's not a bad idea, you know. Go on. Pensions. Just gonna get some water. <laughs> yeah, pension, pension or private pensions at least um, offer offer a lot of benefits as 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 well in terms of um, you know IHT planning. Um, so again, it's it's probably slightly dependent on your circumstances and, and, and largely down to affordability as well. But but having both isn't a bad thing. Yes, you know, with, with the NHS pension you can't can't take it until kind of state retirement age, private pension, you can take your twenty five percent tax free cash uh, from fifty five going up to fifty seven in a couple of years time. Um, but but yeah, no, if you can afford it and you know you, you like the idea, then it's it's definitely not a bad thing to consider again that's just kind of on a general basis and, and and you know you need something more specifically tailored to you so happy to kind of talk a bit more about it if, if, if you want to, to talk about your circumstances yeah uh, great questions guys uh i think roderick if i'm right in saying you're trying to toe that line between giving information but also not uh saying anything too tailored because of course we need to I suppose you'd need to know quite a lot about the exact situation there to be able to say exactly what you might do, I suppose. Exactly. You know, yeah, fair enough. It's, there is a, a fine line to toe, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help as much as I can uh, at the same time without giving, I guess, specific advice or, or whatever to, to an individual. Got yeah, fair enough, fair enough. 
Hope that helps, Sheesh. Uh, we've got Annika again. Annika says her financial advisor is keen on her distributing money into a SIP and ISA stocks and shares and life cover. Do you think the 40K ceiling will be reduced in SIP due to a tighter allowance? Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes That Dentists Make Whenever It Comes to Their Finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistinvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. Really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Um, difficult to say. I mean, again, it's, it's one of those kind of tax breaks where they could target the, yeah, there, there, there has been murmurs to to, um, to change the the tax relief to a flat rate tax relief of twenty percent, rather than kind of getting higher rate relief as well. Um, so it may happen, but you know, like anything, yeah, you know, that, that nothing will happen retrospectively. Uh, you know, that they will give some advance warning. So um, yeah, at the end of the day, I guess it, it, it's also making sure you use all your available allowances. You know, if, if you've got the capacity, make sure you use all your allowances. I think someone told me that, um, but don't quote me on this, but there's apparently about 2,000 allowances out there. Really? Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I couldn't name half of them, I guess. But, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's just making sure you can try and use all those that are available to you. <sighs> so, yeah, you know, your, your ISA allowance, your capital gains tax allowance, all your other kind of general more wealth known allowances, I guess, dividend allowance as well. Someone, I, I guess someone, what, are you still there, Roderick? Yep, yep. Yeah, I guess someone might say, Annika, just to turn that question on its head, that maybe if you think that that's going to happen, like Roderick says, it won't happen retrospectively. So maybe now is a good time to capitalize on that 40K limit. I don't know. Obviously, no one knows if it's going to change. And as well as that, it would depend entirely on your circumstances. But you might just flip that logic on its head slightly and argue that uh, just as a just as another interesting way of looking at it. I think some of the investment vehicles in the UK, investment accounts, they must be the envy of the world. Where else can you put in £20,000 to your ISA, you know, your £20,000 ISA limit and get ta- have tax-free on profits? I think that's just insane, yep. really. I, I know America have a 401k, but I can't imagine there's too many. There's a serious amount of revenue there that the government miss out on and they're happy to do so to encourage people to save and invest for the pensions uh interestingly you'll know more about this than me roderick but not so long ago the isa limit was only 3k um i can't do when was that was that oh you're probably you're asking questions far but yeah that, that would have been quite quite a while back i mean it's, oh, it's been it? 3k for a good Has number it? of years now i mean when, when it first popped yeah. out as, as testers or whatever they were called the, you know that the limits were yeah. a lot lower and you know, yeah. but, but it's been 20k for, for a little while now and you know, I, I think in, in the group they've also talked about 
JICA allowances or junior ISA allowances, that's that's 9K at the moment. So that's, um, you know, not a bad way to put aside a little nest egg for, for the children. Um, yeah. But obviously, caution on that side of things is that, you know, if, if you do set up an ISA, you know, when, when, when the children become 18, they, they get access to that money. So, um, you know, depending on how, how good they are with the money, <laughs> um, yeah, buy that nice car or whatever it is. But, uh, but yeah, it's just something to be aware of. I wouldn't have trusted myself at 18. I'll say that. I hope that helps, Annika. Uh, and I hope you're having a good evening and weekend as well. Annika was on the podcast about art. It was actually Annika that I did it with. So that, was oh, really, yeah. that was an interesting one. Really knows your stuff on art. Smashing. David Hoy, we've got next. Good evening, David. Assuming good health, what is the chance of claiming on life insurance from the age of 40 to 65 and critical illness? Um, um, <laughs> actually, funnily enough, I, I don't know if, if you, uh, if, uh, you probably didn't do, do the little uh, quiz that, that, that I put together, but um, you know, in, in that, I think it said that the uh, kind of average age for a claim for, for income protection is about 40. And the average aim for a for average age for a claim on, on critical illness is about 47. So, you know, I guess take that how you want. I don't, couldn't say for exactly for what it would be for, what was it, 45, did you say 45 to 60? Uh, David said, yeah, 40 to 65. 40 to 65. So, so, so yeah, you know, I mean, the average age, as I say, for income protection is 40. So you kind of, possibly in that age band already um yeah, I, I guess just to add to that um again i was i've kind of was told or I've seen some statistics to say that you know the uh i think the reassurers had to pay out something like 90 million pounds during the pandemic um so at some point you think that they're gonna look to recover Good costs point. and you know the, the the most obvious place is is obviously the the consumer so yeah, if, if you don't have income protection or don't have critical illness and are thinking about it or even haven't even reviewed it for a little while you know might, now might be a, a good time to, to have a look at it before they start really kind of increasing costs or, or, or whatever I, I know james you're not overly keen on the idea of um <laughs> of protection. yeah uh well i mean income protection is maybe one that i would categorize generally speaking i'm not really a huge insurance product person um but that's just my belief system that's not to say that i'm right and everyone else is wrong 100 percent um income protection i i i think that it, it probably is useful for a lot of people definitely yeah i i actually income protection is unique you know and you might argue we had vinay chatting about income protection actually and he was saying you know for a hundred pounds a month or whatever it is, the, the, the insurance that it buys you, he believes is really important. It's all about getting a good one. Um, but yeah, no, income protection is something that I'm, I'm for. I just wouldn't buy it personally. Having said that, I could have done with it yeah. a few times uh, when I, <laughs> exactly. you know what I mean? So I could very well be I mean, wrong. I mean, the analogy that I always use is, you know, if, if you had a tree at the bottom of your, of your garden that, that, that kind of grew money, would you insure it? Through that, through that. Yeah, good point. I like that. Okay. 
you would, but, wouldn't you? Yeah, very good point. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> cool. David, thank you for that. We've got Louise uh, McGilton next. Uh, Louise has said, hi, for a beginner looking to start simple and fairly low to moderate risk, what's the recommended after the usual sit stocks and shares ISA and utilizing mortgage offset? Well, you could, of course, you have got your 12,300 capital gains limit, so that's an, you can always take advantage of that with a general investing account, uh, in addition to the things that you mentioned. Anything else you'd like to throw in there, Roderick? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you're right, though. It's, it's, it's the uh, your general, if you've used up all your other allowances, then, then your next obvious one is um, your general investment account where you've got your kind of £12,300 CDT. And, you know, not only that, you know, if, if you've got a spouse, you can actually transfer assets between each other freely. So if, if you've kind of used your allowance, then, you know, you could potentially transfer assets to, to your other half and, and use their allowance as well if they haven't used it. Yeah. The level of tax wizardry always blows me away when I talk to an accountant or a financial advisor. There's so many ins and outs and things that you can do to save yourself money. It's, it's actually quite interesting, I think, uh, despite the received wisdom that tax is inherently boring. Anything else you'd like to add to Louise's uh, question? No, not, not, yeah. not, not anything else I can think of. Off the top of my Fair head. enough. Cool. Awesome. So well, hopefully that was useful, Louise. We've got John again. How are you supposed to plan when the government continually changes the goalposts regarding pensions, NHS pension, moving in line with state pensions, earliest drawdown of private pensions moving from 57 to 55, lifetime. Wow, there's, there's, a, list, <laughs> there's a whole list here. I think... I think we get the message. Uh, yeah. What, yeah do you, no. what do you think on that one, Roderick? What, what do I think on? Well, this is this is why. I mean, you know, biased or not biased, I'd say you know, get get an advisor. You know, get an advisor. Speak to them. So you can and you know find out what your goals are, and and uh, you know then you know what you're working towards. Invariably, they say. You know, two certainties life. You know, death and taxes. But you know, the third one is change. So it's, uh, it's yeah. The, the, there's always going to be change. So it, it's just about navigating that change and you know, tweaking that plan or whatever to, to to get to that ultimate desired outcome of independence, financial freedom, what, whatever that may be. I like that actually. Have a plan and then just tweak it as you go along. I guess is a good a good response to that one because the, a lot of these things are unforeseen. I don't even think the government know what the government are going to do. Come the new tax year, come the new budget. You know, uh, they're probably just making that one up as they go along themselves. So they're probably going to. It's like it's like investing though as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. It, it, you you don't see all these um, kind of things happening, and nobody in the world saw coronavirus coming. And and obviously that, yeah. that hit the markets uh, quite heavily at the start of 2020. Yeah, markets recovered, but you know, there's there's always these events that that, that nobody sees, and um, but we just have to deal with it and, and and carry on, and you know maybe have a slight change of course. It is good that you're really thinking about those sorts of things, though, John, because that's the first steps to having a plan. Uh, Dan Hardeep Puny, I said hello, hello, Dan. I hope you're very well and you're having a great weekend. We have Elaine Moe next. Elaine would like to know, in your experience, what are the common mistakes or often missed knowledge that dentists are not aware of with regards to financial planning? Really great question. 
Um, common mistakes. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I guess that the first common mistake is is not getting advice. You know, I think yes, or education as well. First of all, you need to you need to educate yourself on these things, but also. You know, why, why not educate yourself by by getting by speaking to someone who knows a, a professional about it? Now, like, like dentistry, you, you don't go into dentistry reading your own books or whatever. You, you go, you get some learning, you get taught about it. So, so yeah, I think people. I, I don't know what it is maybe about advisors that that people don't quite um, like or whatever that that we may want to take your money. But at the end of the day, we, we're kind of there to help you as oh. well. And you know the common pitfalls that you see every day, uh, like errors that dentists commit. And I know that. You, so what you've done is you've given us a great idea of somewhere to go. But say, what is the most common frequent mistakes that you think that you see dentists make uh, that you you kind of almost have your head in your hands, or you frequently have to sort them out? Um, this is that one. You what? I, I just said is it. Taxes is taxes an example of one? Yeah, I mean, you know, they, tax, taxes would, would always be an a, a example, I guess. You know, not not using all your allowances, um, not not really saving. I, I guess that, that there's the whole mire of things, but you know, at the end of the day, it, it's that there are lots of little things which which can be looked at. Uh, but yeah, you need yeah. to start somewhere. The the taxes one, um, I'm sure there's a few out there who try to fill in their uh, their self assessment themselves. I've actually done it before myself, but having talked to guys in tax, I just realised how many things I could have taken advantage of. There's a, there's a list of length of your arm, and from having conversations with people who are involved in tax, I probably won't be doing that again. I'll be honest with you because there's it's it's actually I actually believe that it's worth it whatever it is, you know, when you're out then a little bit for the tax man. Uh, if you look at it purely in terms of economics, you'll actually probably save more if you get a good accountant. That would be my uh, sort of personal anecdote to add to yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, actually, I agree with you there. That, that is um, a really good one there. Because, yeah, yeah, an accountant will be able to save you uh, probably a lot more tax than um, than you're paying them. Totally, totally. I, I, I wish I would have... Uh, taking that into account. I, w I wish I would have had more of an understanding of that before I did endeavor to do it myself. Uh, but yeah, the the education thing is amazing. Like when you start reading about money, um, it's such, it really is a huge rabbit hole. And you realize there's, I mean, about three years ago, I didn't even know what a stocks and shares ISA was. I'm sure there'll be people in the group who will say the same thing as well. So the only reason I got from there to learning a little bit more about it was just education, uh, taking an interest in it. And if anything, I just find it interesting. So yeah, it's an interesting one that. Cool, thank you, Elaine. Um, we've got Nishal saying hello. Hello, Nishal, I hope you're very well. Wachul has just said thank you for answering the question earlier. You're welcome, Wachul, thank you for the question. That was a good one. And we've got Imran Ahmed now, NHS pension. Imran asks, or stick to ISA's property, et cetera, that you're in control of, uh, especially if you don't want to work to anywhere near state retirement age. Hmm. What do you think about that, Roderick? Uh, you know, we, we always said the NHS pension is, is a fantastic pension. 
you know it's 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 guaranteed um it doesn't matter how much you put into it you, you know what you're going to get at the end of it unlike obviously your, your private pensions where it's all about kind of money you put in the investment returns is is what you get at the end so it's Generally, I would say, you know, stick with the NHS pension. You know, there, there are obviously some circumstances or some some individuals where you know, it, it might not be appropriate to, to stay in the pension. But but again, it's probably slightly personal. So you know, I, I would always, at first point of call, generally say stay in the NHS. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, all I know is the people that I talk to who seem to have a background in finance, I haven't found one yet who's told me that they think that the NHS pension is not a good idea because of how lucrative it is in the long run. There, Luke Hurley, again, fleshes it out really nicely in the podcast that I did with him. Really interesting one was that. I learned a ton about how that works. Hopefully that helps, Imran. We've got Sheila Lai next. Sheila would like to know, after reaching your ISA allowance, is it better to use your limited company to invest in stocks and shares? Oops, it's just jumped around. Or pay into a SIP? Good question, Sheila. Um, SIP, SIP's a great, a great place to pay money into. Um, you know, because because any employer contributions into a SIP is an allowable expense, so you save kind of corporation tax straight off there. You know, obviously, the, the the negatives to that is that you can't access your SIP until. And you, you sit private pension, whatever you want to call it, until until at least fifty five. Um, so you know, from a from a tax planning perspective, generally I would say put money into a SIP rather than investing it. But you know, again, people have different views on that. But 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 that's kind of my general view. There's also so just as we said earlier, Sheila, I don't know if you caught it. There's also a well, your capital gains limit is twelve thousand three hundred. So you can always take advantage of that limit before you, you know, you start thinking about SIPs and things like that. If you do, if you are into investing in your ISA, uh, it totally depends on you. It's there's no one shoe that fits everybody, but that might be something you want to consider too. So if you just open any old general investment account. Uh, like I say, capital gains doesn't apply until you make twelve thousand three hundred profit, I believe. Roderick will mm -hmm. confirm that. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Anil has jumped in. Oh, this is this is good actually. This is a little bit of financial history. This is interesting. He said that ISIS were originally Tessas. Yep. Tessas. Yeah, is that correct? Max three yep. K investment, then became then they became PEPs, Max six K investment, then then ISIS. The max investment for a Tessa was 3K back in the very early 1990s. Thank you for that, Anil. I didn't know that. Anything else? Any more financial history you can add to that? Roderick, I find <laughs> stuff like that fascinating. Probably not. I think, you know, he's either very knowledgeable there or, um, yeah. Yeah, that was good. Tessas and pets, that's a new one for me. Thanks for that, Anil. Louise has said, thank you for answering your question earlier. You're welcome. And we have Richard Lishman next, who has said, unfortunately, he's able to. Uh, yes, Richard. The Richard would just like to know if he can watch it at a later date. I'm recording this right now, so everything will be thrown up on the groups for your viewing and whoever else is interested uh, just as soon as this is over. We're hoping to wrap this up by 
eight o'clock or just before, guys, depending on how many questions we get. Chan David, welcome, Chan David. Nice to see you this evening. Chan would like to know what's the most efficient way to take profits out of your Bitcoin? Good question. Bitcoin. Uh, well, I, I'm going to have to kind of, you know, put my hand up and say I don't know much about Bitcoin. So, so maybe James, that's that's more <laughs> of a, a question for for, mm. for you. I would say on that one that long story short, you would probably need to speak to an accountant because what they can do is, I believe, Neurotic will confirm. I was chatting to someone about this the other day. They can you pay your if you announce that your profits are. Uh, say Bitcoin's going to go up in value, okay, or it's likely to before the next, before the end of the financial year, so before the end of March. So you can declare your profits on it now and pay some capital gains tax. And then if you believe that it is going to go up, then when you do eventually sell or you cash out, you'll pay less tax because it's apparently they account for this in the tax system. Is, is that correct, Roderick? I I, th I think it sounds like um, it's probably best to speak to an accountant. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, one, that's one that specialises in in uh, in crypto. Yeah, you can. That's obviously just a rule of thumb, or it's a possibility. So that's not advisable for everybody. And I definitely would double check that. But there is sorts of things that you can do. Uh, you know that sort of wizardry that you can do to make it more tax efficient, as well as that. If you don't sell your Bitcoin, you don't pay taxes. So you might just like to hold. You might just like to hold it, hold it the whole way through, hold it to add infinite infinity. It's a hard one when you're trading because it, there there comes a point where it might be considered income tax as well. So again, definitely want to have a word with an accountant. With I don't know how frequently you're buying and selling it, David. Uh, so that might be something you like to consider. I think most of what we're hoping to do in the very near future is get a Bitcoin tax crypto crypto currency tax expert on the podcast so watch this space for that one chan but i hope that helps definitely one to have a word with an accountant with uh you're welcome oh chance chance just said thank you you're very welcome chan sheila lie again thanks for the question sheila these are great what is the most efficient way of taking money out of your limited company um Again, that, that's probably slightly more of an accountancy kind of question, but you know that they, they generally say it take take some salary and and dividend because the dividend tax is slightly lower than than income tax. Um, but you know it, it depends also how much you need to to extract from your company as well. Yeah, the only real advantage of no, you correct me if I'm wrong, Roderick. The only real advantage of paying money into a limited company to invest. Is that you pay the corporation tax, but you do you get taxed twice if you do it. Mm -hmm. So it really depends how much you're investing, how long you hold it for. There's a lot of a few variables in there, Sheila. But that's why people are so keen to do it if they're an, if they're a higher rate taxpayer. Is that that's I've understood it correctly? Haven't yeah, Roderick. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 You have. Banging. Okay. Thanks, Sheila. Sheila's got another question. Uh, so she said recapital gains tax you mentioned uh and using money to invest in the gia would it be tax efficient to take a dividend and invest it in a gia versus just directly using the limited company to invest in the gia I'll throw it over sorry say that again does, yeah, does that make sense sorry i think i kind of lost myself there uh 
capital gains tax. So what Sheila's what Sheila would like to know is, is it more efficient to take your dividends and invest it in a GIA versus just directly using the limited company to invest in a GIA? Um, Hard to answer that one. <laughs> is it? It's that that's probably quite a a difficult one yeah. to answer. Um, you know, it's 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 also a. a are they going to be investing in exactly the same things? Um, it's, it's uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure how, how, how to answer that one at this stage. You know, I'm, I'm quite happy to pick this one up separately with you, uh, Shira. Yeah. I think it's probably the, the best way. Great questions. It's, I think that, Roderick, you might be struggling a little bit because you, only have a, you don't have enough information really to answer them fully and you wouldn't want to give unsolicited advice. But let's not say it's not a good question. Fair yeah, enough. no, no, yeah. it's, it's it's a really good question actually i'm sure lots of people are probably yeah. in similar similar boats as well but um i think that's kind of a bit more personal to you to, to sheila's situation so you know happy to pick this up separately cool fair enough hope that was all helpful sheila uh pedro would like to know is it a good idea if you don't need the money that is to invest in a sip private pension the income you make per year above the high payer threshold in order to minimize the tax that you pay on this. So, say that one again. <laughs> I'm, the problem is, I'm reading them out literally, and uh, some of the, the words, it's the wording is slightly uh, ajar or the, the, yeah, it's yeah. slightly confusing. Um, what I think what Pedro means is that when you pay the when you pay the higher rates. Mm -hmm of tax, is it a good idea to invest in a SIP? I think that's what he means. Um, paying the higher rate of, of it's, tax. It's, it's, so is this, I guess, is it from it's, a... It's more additional, really, when you think about a SIP, really, isn't it, Roderick? Yeah, I mean, is... Yeah, that area... I guess yeah. I need to know, kind of, you know, are we talking through a limited company, or I guess... As we'll, a, we'll go as personally. We'll just go personally. Personally. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously pay, paying into a pension is, is always ad advisable. You know, there are great tax savings uh, for paying into a pension. Um, but again, it's, it's a lot of it's driven by affordability as well. So, so by the sounds that, you know, you probably don't, don't need that surplus cash. So, so yeah, you know, use, use your allowances. But, but again, I think it seems a, a lot of these questions are quite personal to people. No, so. of course, yeah. Yeah, just do your best with what you have, and I, I wouldn't want you to feel like uh, you want to you say anything uncomfortable that you're not yeah, asked. Yeah. You know, say you use use your allowances if if you can afford to pay into your pension, then then great. There's, there's huge benefits of, of paying into a pension long term. Okay, yes, you have to pay kind of tax on on the way out, but you do get your twenty five percent, you know, tax free, and and there's ways that you know you can um, be efficient with. With, with how you draw your money um, on the other end. Yeah, hopefully that's kind of partly answered yeah. your question. Again, like, like with the others, happy to pick it up separately, you know, just, just to speak a bit more about your own situation. Yeah, the re reason, obviously, as, as we were saying earlier, we can't give advice, I suppose, uh, unique to your situation, uh, Pedro, but the reason that people generally tend to like SIPs is to reduce the tax bill. The you it usually becomes a lot more economical when you hit that. It's just over a hundred k, isn't it, Roderick? 
where your your personal allowance begins to be eroded mm -hmm. because for every uh, uh, I can't remember the exact figure, but for every pound you earn, you you only earn like twenty pence at that yeah. point, or something silly like that. Once you have so between the one hundred and one twenty-five bracket, you kind of taxed it. Is that how much? So yeah, it is. Yeah, and then that's as well as well as that you've got your national insurance on top of that too, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's you really, really it becomes so uneconomical to earn over that threshold. That's when a sit is generally something that people consider. Again, in no way financial advice, uh, but something that you might like to take up with an FA or uh, kind of use to help make your decision uh, on that one, Pedro. Happy with that, Roderick? Anything else you want to chuck in? No, no, I think, um, yeah, so if you want to, want to pick this up separately, you know, more than happy to, to have a chat. Cool. Awesome. We've got Depeche Kothari. Welcome, Depeche. Uh, no worries on being late. Um, because you've, you've just apologized here, I see, so that's no big deal. Uh, Depeche said, did we discuss, discuss critical illness cover? We, we kind of did, didn't we? Um, we, we? We touched on it, yeah. yes. I mean, has he got a specific question around it? or is it, just uh, it just says, did we discuss critical illness cover? I guess, I guess what Depeche, reading between the lines or analyzing the question, he'd just like to know, do you think it's a good idea and do you think it's worthwhile? Um, I, th I think it's a good idea. So, so, so critical illness is kind of a, is, is totally separate to like income protection because you know income protection pays you um, a regular income if, if you're unable to work. You know, critical illness pays you a lump sum if you are diagnosed with a specified condition um, that the insurer sets out and, and survive normally around 30 days. Um, so, so yeah, no, there's, there's definitely, definitely a reason to have both. Um, again, it's, it's about looking at what you have and, and seeing what your own liabilities are in order to put something in place and, and generally affordability as well. You know, you find that critical illness generally is about three times more expensive than life cover because you're more than likely to, to, to fall with a critical illness than the knots, um, I think the, the little quiz I did, you know, cancer's kind of the biggest reason for critical illness. And if we look at, you know, one in two people or whatever, again, to um, get cancer at some point in time, so you can see why insurers kind of put a higher premium on uh, on critical illness than, than say, life. It's the sort of thing you don't need it until you need it. Does that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's... That, but that's that's the thing with any insurance, though, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's why people are slightly against it because if you don't need to pay out for it, then you know you don't get any benefit from it. But on the other hand, those that need need it and and have a payout, they they can definitely see the benefit. Cool, awesome. Right then, so yeah, we I think that's it for the questions. Chan David has just said thanks. He really appreciates it. You're very welcome, Chan. Sheila has said thanks to uh, Jonathan Lee has said this is great stuff guys you're very welcome Jonathan I'm glad that you find this so useful uh, and Depeche has said thank you and I think that's it for the questions you know unless we get any within the next few seconds we've actually really uh, well we aimed for eight o'clock didn't we yep. and we've just we're, we're just at two minutes to eight so I think now might be a good time to wrap up yep. that's okay with you Roderick thanks for coming on the show 
perfect, you know. The, the time's gone quite quick, actually, to be that fair. That flew by, I tell you what. It I can't believe that by. was an hour. Yeah, I feel like we've just started. Um, I'm sure there's a million other things that we could flesh out, but I hope everybody has found this useful. I'm going to do more things like this on the group because uh, this is re a really amazing way that people can ask Q&As, anything they like, to somebody who is qualified in that field uh, to give their answers there and then. So I think it's a brilliant format. I really do. But yeah, thank you so much for coming no, no. on the show, Roderick. It's been it's been great. It's been uh, it's been fun. I, I don't know any better way to spend my Sunday Sunday <laughs> evening than to grill. <laughs> I'm no, sure no, that no. was sincere. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that was sincere. Right, cool. Well, if anybody wants to get in touch with Roderick, he's on the group. Roderick Sam, feel free to drop a message of anything that you heard tonight you'd like to think about a little bit more. There's probably a million things that we could flesh out. Uh, I hope everybody has found this very useful and we're going to sign off for the evening night, everyone. So thanks for coming. See you later. Cool. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.